Tea with Darker Says I'm Dumb. Welcome to Mother Folklore, of the Irish Podcast, brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm lucky to be joined today by two of the lads from Imla, Horak O'Connila. Hello. And Fergum Lyne. Hello. Lads, you're very welcome to the studio. For those of you who aren't familiar with the with the work of Imla, they are an Irish music collective, but have sometimes been referred to as an Irish hip hop act. That's not entirely accurate, would you say? No, that's like, I think that's maybe a third at best. And that's, yeah, but definitely not. It's definitely not a hip hop act. But you're not without some hip hop influences or rap influences, among others. That's just because I'm in the band and that's all I can do. So if I'm at Electric Picnic and yeah. my buddy wants to go and see, I don't know, uh, Manic Street Preachers Union, and I say, well, Emily playing through the stage, and they go, who are Emily? What are they like? How will I describe them? And like that minute it takes them to walk towards the Manic Street Preachers stage. They might be like nothing you've quite heard in one band. It's like, I don't know, we like... Yeah, like they're all, I guess they're all sort of, well, not even, like the, a lot of the elements of the band are things you would have heard in isolation. Like like I kind of love folk music or slightly mm-hmm. ethereal music. You know, Pork obviously loves hip-hop. Kean loves kind of soul music. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that mishmash of things, you know, and uh, every every odd song kind of has a different vocalist come in, but you know that it's the same minds that are creating the thing. And, um, you know, and you're kind of going from being a lead singer to being a supporting role to being mm-hmm. like, you know, I did everything on this album from guitar, piano, singing, engineering, you know, like, yeah. uh, mm. so that, that, you know, that even if I'm not on a song, you know, that there's probably an influence of me in it. So it's not always an audible or visible presence, but like, you know, everyone's always there. Excellent. And for it to have made it on the album, it kind of, everyone needed to kind of, and that there was never an official, I, I sign off on that process, but it was like, yeah, you know, everyone silently agreed that we liked each other's. <laughs> 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 I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can honestly say that I um that I genuinely actually got into and loved each and every song, even the songs I had like little to do with. Um, I really, I really got into them, and uh, so I guess I was just really happy that I was able to respect every song, um, for what it was, and mm. that was yeah, just like that. That was refreshing. So, legendary music blogger um, Nyler Nine is one of Emily's biggest fans, and he wrote some very kind words about you, which I'm going to read out for the benefit of our listeners. There's a groundswell of Gaelic-led bands around the country doing fresh things with the language, and Emily at the forefront of that, featuring three vocalists of different shades, singer Fergal Maloney, punk poet style Marcus McAneel, and rapper MC Mopaid. Their self-titled debut album mixes meditative folk, rock, and rap styles in our native tongue to impressive effect. A breath of fresh air. High praise indeed. Yeah, great pun. <laughs> oh yes, wonderful pun. <laughs> And Park, you're also known sometimes as MC Muppet. That is true, yeah. Please tell us more about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I suppose the name is a bit of a bastardization, but uh, I quite like that. Um, hence, I, I add misspellings to a lot of things. But um, 
It came from hanging out with my friends when I was 19, 18, and uh, I was playing Smuggler's Run 2, and we'd swap trade places. So, like, somebody else came from the other room because it was like six people or eight people in the next room. And uh, they came and was like, you gotta come in, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. Gotta, come on, Muppet, get up, get up. <laughs> and then everyone was like, yeah, Muppet, what are you doing? You should have come in and played the game. It was like, I was already playing the game. I was in the middle of the final with Talk Talk. They were pretty uh, pretty annoyed I didn't come in. They just called me Muppet. And then it was like, just like the ring of it. And then they just said, that's it, you're Muppet now. And I was like, fine. You don't get to pick your own you nicknames. Get to pick your own nicknames now. And then I, yeah, and then for him, I couldn't come up with I couldn't come up with a, with a stage name that wasn't like really cringeworthy. So I just thought I'd go for the awful one I already had and just turn that into a muppet from a muppet. So you took it back. Yeah, I uh, reappropriated it. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. I think that's the way to way to progress. You know, you can't let anyone own you, and no such nicknames for you, Kirkle, now. I actually have lived my entire life without nicknames. I think because neither of my names rhyme with anything. My name is Fergal Maloney and it's just, it doesn't seem to, uh... although actually someone recently called me Fergie Ferg, which is probably the best one I've ever had. Really? Yeah. That's... I've wanted to call you Fergalino every <laughs> once in a while, but I just haven't said it yet until now. <laughs> because of the way my surname is spelled, even though my surname is O'Shea, it's spelled O-Father S-E, Father A-G-H-D-H-A. And in secondary school, that was unfortunately turned into O'Shagirda. Not unreasonably. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was quite unreasonable. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> I think it's particularly in my, my brother's Manus, but it's spelled with a silent GH. And okay. so, it's, and he got Magnus, which has turned to Maggie. Oh. And and then when it turned out he shared a birthday with Margaret Thatcher, the Maggie thing really stuck. It had, you know, oh, double yeah. meanings. But he said the worst thing of all was that other people who also had silent GHs in their name mispronounced his name. I was like, you've no excuse. Una, <laughs> Una with a GH is like Una has no GH in Irish. So he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do: going to turn that U father into two O's, and we're going to stick a GH in that was never there in the original. Like, who's in charge? <laughs> um, yeah, I think my uh, funniest GH moment. Well, it's a partial GH moment. Was in the airport, my name getting called out three times, and I didn't recognise it until the third time. Oh yeah, Padre got Congaila. I was just going like, I'm like, geez, this dude really needs to get to his. He really <laughs> needs to get to his flight. Like the first time, didn't pay no heed. Second time, I was like, shit, that's the second time. I think he really want to make a rush. And then third time, she's angry, mm-hmm. and she's going like, Padre got Congaila. Really needs to make his way to the gate. The gate is closing. And I was kind of like reading, lost. And then it just clicked. I was like, Padre, oh, shit. I was just like, <laughs> legged it down. And then I went to the desk and it's like the most Irish of Irish looking like meteorite Irish birds. And she's like, <laughs> she looked at me and she was mortified. She was like, she just had a complete brain fart. Like, I don't know how, yeah. she, how she thought that that name was going to get pronounced like that. And I was just like, I looked at her, I was going to say sorry. And then I looked at her and she looked really sorry. And I was like, thanks. I'm in, thank you. I think the Irish for brain fart is brimantine, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that could be. And it sounds works. a bit like, was it, that sounds as brillantine was the old name for hair oil in the 50s that your granddad would have used when he's gone courting. Really? But I think it was called brillantine, oh, was it? Is, yeah. that where, is that where brillantine came from? I think they may have been rival products at some point, but I think I seem to remember it from a Hignotitter. Oh, wait, I suppose that's where the Brill Cream name came from, from Brillantine, and that I got associated as the product for hair. I think so. I presume so. Um, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure, but Brillantine uh, has a nice musical ring to it. I mm. think it's a brain fart. <laughs> it's great.
Got like Hoover and Hoover. You know, Hoover's just a brand, not the actual device. This is the thing. And it's, it's a big thing that the BBC have an issue with this sometimes when there was um, when an, an incident involving a product hits the news. And the most famous one is Kool-Aid. Like in America, Kool-Aid is synonymous with cults. Yeah. And, you know, drink, taking the Kool-Aid. And the people who make this fine product are like, How, why can't you just say they used a... They use a dilutable <laughs> soft drink, mm. and what, 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 like the fact that their name has been dragged through this, and they've they managed to still exist, is alarming. But there was a marmite leak on one of the main motorways in the United Kingdom that say a yeast-based product has been spilled all <laughs> over the road, <laughs> because obviously they, they you don't want to associate companies with accidents and horrible things. Um, but yeah, I'd imagine that's done more good than bad for someone like Hoover, though. You know, like that that their their company name is literally synonymous with the object. It has to be. It's a kind of free advertising in a way. Cause mm. I, I know I'm, I met a girl from the Midlands some while back. She asked me if I liked Walker's Tatoes. How did that go? Oh, Walker's Tatoes. Because Tatoes are just crisps. Crisp oh, wow. potatoes, Tatoes, crisps. Sorry, I didn't even catch that when you said it first. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, <laughs> That's a perfect example. You, you probably thought, well, yes. I mean, obviously, the, we're, what kind of Tatoes do you prefer? Do you prefer the Tatoes that are corn snacks from made by the Perry <laughs> Company? Or the Tatoes that are made by the Taylor <laughs> Company? Oh, I definitely designate between corn snacks and like crisps. We sometimes refer, I think we refer to corn snacks as beige goods because you know the rancheros, meanies, um, the other ones, wheelies. Wheelies, yeah, wheelies are pretty good. Branchies were a favorite of mine. Oh yeah, so salty, just so salty, yeah. so bitter. Yeah. So they'd be in your uh, in your rider if you're going to do gigs, is it? <laughs> two packs of banshee bones <laughs> two packs what a box out of date from 1997 <laughs> you gotta remove you gotta remove all the rectangular wheelies from the pack otherwise I know you ha- you can't handle the, the lighting equipment <laughs> so tell me you're obviously accomplished musicians and you both have an interest in Irish would you say that your journey towards Irish has been similar or different I, I would say definitely different my own um, was a fairly normal Dublin sort of uh, experience where I grew up and Irish was just a pain and uh, then I, I kind of got to secondary school and I started going to the Gwaltocht in Connemara mm-hmm. and that's um, I think that's where I kind of started to associate Irish with things that I liked you know because that was kind of first experience even like you know you're down there playing sports and music and there's girls everywhere and it's like so I, I had that you know three four summers in a row and that always left me with a kind of nice Association, which I think a lot of people who didn't have that Gwail Talk experience maybe didn't leave school with. To mm-hmm. them, it was on trail and it was Tishel Ginnadoct and they, and they never quite got any joy from it, I suppose. Okay. Whereas early on, I had that association. And um, then I left school and uh, I kind of didn't do much with it for a while. I was studying and doing various things and playing in an English language band. And um, then I was in a band called The Dirty Nines. and. Oh. We uh, there was sort of an opportunity to go on this TG Car show called Desh Rock, and Kian, who's also an Imlay and was in the Dirty Nines with me, um, had been volunteering in Radio Nalifa for a while at that point. So he was like, "Look, we could do this. Mm-hmm. We just all we have to do is kind of translate a couple of songs into Irish." And and we we went for it. And as we kind of got, went through that competition, we actually got to the I think the last two stages or whatever, and we were like, you know, we should just write. A song in Irish. Yeah. You know, uh, instead of this translating thing, which is actually more w- trouble than it's worth. And uh, we did that and we won that competition, which kind of led us to our debut album and, and doing that stuff. And um, the Dirty Nines kind of came to a point where we were playing half Irish gigs and half English gigs. Mm-hmm. 
And it was a bit of an identity crisis, I think, because, you know, people who liked our Irish stuff were kind of like, oh, they're doing loads of English songs. And then people who wanted to hear our English songs were like, oh, what's this Irish mm-hmm. thing? They didn't kind of get it. Um, and the band sort of, I don't know, like a lot of bands dissipated a bit. And then it was Kean who kind of came back to Imlay. And his idea was to kind of get these different singers and kind of a collective basically was his mm-hmm. idea. And when he asked me about it, he was like, oh, just so you know, I'm putting this thing together. If you've, I don't know if you've been writing much or or whatever. And, you know, it kind of brought it back to me then that like, you know, he, he would send me over lyrics sometimes. And I would at the time I was doing a master's in music and media technology, which is okay. kind of a lot of contemporary music. And, um, you know, I guess I was always looking for little things to make the piece of music different. Okay, And kind of writing in Irish kind of came back to me at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was during that course that I wrote the, one of the songs of the album, Good Joe, Good Joe, Gone Stod. And it was, it was nice because the, the language kind of came back to me in like a, a really nice natural way. And then I, I was kind of li- listening to like Eric Satie piano pieces and, um, and just that kind, of, that kind of blend, I guess, was a bit unusual maybe. And, mm-hmm. But Irish just came back, to, it came back to me in a way that I was like, well, I can use it to kind of set my music apart from maybe other music I've been writing. And as I was doing that again, I found, I don't know, is it like an atavistic kind of deep knowledge or something, but it just feels natural to sing that way, even though I'm not a native speaker, I'm not mm-hmm. fluent even still. And, but there's something kind of deeper about singing it that's like, God, you know, yeah. sometimes I sing it and I'm like, God, it actually gets me, even though I might even know like what, mm-hmm. what I'm saying, which is terrible, but it's music at the end of the day. It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a written down piece and... I think that's something that it feels right for you to sing in Irish. I mean, even yeah. though you, you, you may not identify as a native speaker or one of these uh, very hardcore individuals, it's something that feels very right for you. And mm. that, that that comes through and gives the music great authenticity. I found that one of the things that really impressed me was I was listening to it. I didn't feel that it had been changed from English to Irish. I felt that it was it was very much mm. Irish as a starting point in all the songs. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I think like just in terms of our own integrity and stuff I think we much prefer that approach and well well, like the other guys in the band wouldn't would never write in English probably um, <laughs> whereas that would be more my I've written a page or two in English a page or two <laughs> it could happen <laughs> but as in I, I guess what I, I guess I'm trying to say is that the thing at the moment and has been for the last five years is that you know you see these albums come out and it is it's translated songs mm-hmm. and it's weird pronunciation and, and you know if if you do know a bit of Irish, it kind of catches your ear a bit. I don't know. I don't always love those albums, yeah. the translated stuff. You know, Ed, like Ed, it's great Ed Sheeran doing an Irish song, but when I was listening to it, I was didn't feel didn't sit quite right. Maybe there is a tradition. I think like I have a big interest in Scandinavian pop music, and I when from German friends, I'm aware of say some German pop music, and you find obviously there is people who write in their own language in in Sweden in Germany, and there's there's other people who even though they they don't sell abroad. They still sing in English because they feel that's what people are used to hearing pop music in. Having said that, there's also a market for people who are prepared to listen to music such as opera or or certain Celtic mysticism stuff that they they don't mind not knowing the lyrics. Mm, Whereas like Seeger Ross kind of yeah, the Seeger Ross, the yeah. Hobby Popola thing. The idea is that you know they're not too fussed, and I don't think anyone's out at Seeger Ross's lyrics for all being about you know horrible things. But you've chosen actually to identify a third path where actually you are sing in Irish but you're not you're not encouraging people to ignore the lyrics you're actually you're inviting people to give them a shot yeah I'm like uh, is that a fair assessment I guess I guess I can only speak for me in terms of the lyrics and sense that like 
I feel like they should hold up to scrutiny if put under scrutiny, but it's not about like purely listening to every single word from beginning to end and mm-hmm. feeling like you're on top of it. Like I love listening to songs and like something strikes you the like the I don't know, this the three hundredth time you've listened to something, you're like, Oh wow, okay. I've never actually bothered to like open my ears for that that enunciation the way that's been said or at that end of the sentence I've always been like held up by something I've heard before and I'm happy happy mm-hmm. in my head you know thinking about that and then I always end up skipping a couple of bars and then yeah. I'm somewhere else you know um, I, lyrics in Irish I do it because it feels good I do it because mm-hmm. it feels natural I definitely my let's say vocabulary would probably be greater in English, uh, but when I write in English, it's really formal, and it's because mm-hmm. I just read. I have a tendency to read uh, too many old novels, so my English sometimes gets a bit archaic when I'm writing. In terms of you know lyrics in general, I think when some people, if if one person was to undertake to write a song in Irish, not yourselves, but they might think, oh, I gotta get my tishel get right, you know, better use a bit of mo here, and so forth, <laughs> a you know, bit of mo. a little bit of mo. <laughs> You know, because if, if, if particularly with a song, it's, it's if. I think one, there's a great YouTube video explaining the Mo Canilac, which uses the lyrics of Beyonce's If I Were a Boy to explain the Mo, oh, which wow. is obviously because it's a, it's a song about the Mo. <laughs> but in general, that aside, like, there's a lot of great songs in English. And if you subject them to scrutiny, they don't actually, they, they don't require it. Like, the big thing I found was... Alanis Morissette's lyrics for Ironic, she's gotten awful baiting for them. Yeah. Well. Whereas around the same time, Sabotage came out and people said, well, the lyrics, that don't make any sense either. We don't care, it's a banger. And besides, it's recorded by men, so we're not going to hold it to the same standards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think it's, um, and then similarly, I'm a huge fan of the Pixies, but a lot of those lyrics, I mean, they don't, they don't hold up as sentences, you know, and they don't hold up as maybe even continuous ideas. Yeah. And even when they do, they don't hold up as good ideas sometimes, but the tune is great. And yeah, sometimes... Yeah. It's about just feeling of when you're listening to it. It's the feeling that it evokes when you're listening to it. A pattern of syllables. That's it. Like, I I know people who love music, but literally they could not tell you what 10 songs are about. You know, they don't... And they don't care. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's just... It's flashes of images. It's stuff... It's a, like rhyming. There's a like a pleasantness to that, hearing that or... You know, like a, a surprising chord. It's like languages. I, I guess people, different people, get different things from music, and mm-hmm. and some people don't care about language, which is yeah. great. You know, um, and then some people do. You know, and I guess you want in Imlay. I think we want our songs to work on all those levels mm-hmm. for the people who don't, who just want to listen to a piece of music. It's like it should function that way too. You know, with the craft of it, and then for people who want to dig deeper. It should work as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that entirely. Because if the, if one of those are off, there's holes in it, you know, and it's not mm. a good piece, probably. Have you been happy, interested, struck, moved by, from dealing with maybe radio stations or other promoters about being an Irish language act, getting gigs, getting play? Has, has that experience been positive? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty positive, but yeah. It's it's always this thing, like you've put like a shed load of time into making it and then you're like, you're meant to put on your like, your selling hat then like, mm-hmm. you know, and you're meant to like flog it and, you know, you like, 
let's say like our social media accounts like now it's primarily keen doing it i'm like i tried helping out for a while but that absolutely disgusts me i just like late like, makes me so mm-hmm. depressed i just like i was like i just told him one day i can't do that but like when it comes to like yeah the gigs i'm like festivals big festivals art festivals always really fun mm-hmm. they're they're amazing because they're that's a crowd that really wants to go and listen to music mm. um like the ruby sessions last time we played that was really class because that's a crowd that are just going to sit there and really listen to it. So, like, that's that's weird in itself. Uh, I suppose we're lucky that there's a lot of gigs out there that are kind of centred around Irish language where there is money available. Mm-hmm. And if you're good enough, then you will get paid. And we're just lucky enough to be good enough at the moment. Um mm-hmm. So, providing we don't deteriorate, there those those little crumbs <laughs> will be there. Um, but yeah, we, like you know, we don't we don't make we don't make huge money at all. Uh, it's it's a passion. It's a thing that we love doing. Uh, the only thing that we tried to say to ourselves at the start was like, we can't just keep we can't like lose money on this. We can't just mm-hmm. be like you know sp- throwing money at it all the time. Yeah, it's not amateur dramatics or something. <laughs> a dangerous <laughs> hobby. No, and that's why the Guayalin thing was so great for us because it meant. Like um, I did an album a couple of years ago, and literally we had to we had to do gig after gig just to fund it, and you know there's probably some out of our own pockets and everything. Whereas this time to have like a patron was just fantastic, and it allows you to concentrate then on what you should be concentrating on, and it means that by the end of the process you're not kind of exhausted from trying to do all these other things to raise the funds, and then also keep your artistic self sort of uncorrupted mm-hmm. through that process, and and have you know, so it's great to have that support financially. And yep, that is in, great. And financially, and just in terms of like the reputation and stuff. Like I was saying earlier that sometimes people leave school with a negative impression of Irish and uh, and part and, and part of that is to try and, and show them that there's a life outside. There's a like there's a, a place for Irish outside their books and, and after school as well, you know, so I suppose I wouldn't denigrate it at all. But I know what you're saying. Like I was saying earlier that sometimes people leave school with a negative impression of Irish. Imagine. And, uh, and part and, and part of that is to try and and show them that there's a mm. life outside. Mm. There's a like there's a a place for Irish outside their books and and after school as well, you know. So I suppose I wouldn't denigrate it at all, mm-hmm. but I know what you're saying. Yeah, and this was. I mean, there's always a temptation to the whole audience and they're all in one place and they're in school and they can't escape from. But like, that's not really. What it's about is you want people to actually come mm. to it voluntarily. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Tell us about tell me about the creative process you got. I mean, that's three, four songwriters. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's... is it a case of in- writing individually and bringing it to the group and having it finished, or is it a case of writing together? It was all quite organic. You could probably go to each song on the album, and it was written in a different way. Oh. Like some of them, we literally wrote in the room together. I know we did with Creekford and Ilornihia. Those two were written just definitely like literally on the fly and you're literally just running with it because if you stop or if you go out and make a cup of tea you're going to lose mm-hmm. you're going to lose the the muse yeah. or, or whatever yeah. and um, I gotta keep writing 
I yeah. gotta keep riding. Oh no! I'm not gonna come up with anything. Right, right, right. You know, like uh, one of them. Good Joe, Good Joe. I I wrote for a college project. You know, I like um, you know, Pork can probably talk about Funerum and a few of the others. Um, but yeah, like each song, I think has had different sort, like different source. And then sometimes Pork will have something, and then uh, I might think of something to add to it. You know, and it's mm. it's often that as well that somebody comes as a a kernel of an idea, and then people put their own yeah stuff yeah, yeah. on it. Mm. Yeah, I'd get, I'd write, um, I'd write verses. Uh, I just get, I go off on tangents if you haven't noticed, but I'll especially be going off on pretty large tangents today because I'm remarkably hungover after last <laughs> night's pop up Geltucht. Uh, oh, how was it? Like, I haven't been to one yet, and I've been meaning to. Obviously, for me, babysitting or child minding issues mm-hmm. tend to obviously come first, and it'd be great yeah, to just yeah, pop yeah. it in. But I'm really looking forward to hopefully going for November. It's a good buzz, you know. I'm like, I go to one of them, and it's just like going to a normal pub night. And like, you know, I find a place where I'm happy to stand, and I just talk to the people that I'm generally happy talking with. And like, I definitely avoid doing the rounds because um, you just get stuck. It's it's like I really like pop up girls. I like how there's no pressure with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just show up, and it's just like a normal night in the pub, except there's like a surprising amount of people speaking Irish. And it's doing so well. There's something wonderful to hear that kids are being turned away for being too young, <laughs> trying to sneak into a pop-up <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Obviously, yes. Don't serve anyone under eighteen because that's wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, it's an it's an adult event. It's in a bar. Yeah. What, what I like about it as well is that um, you know, sometimes you might have an idea, mm-hmm. and uh, and you'll push it and push it and push it, and you're like, oh, is this not catching on? Because I'm not promoting it the right way or explaining it the right way. Whereas that's just seemed so organic mm-hmm. that like, no, I'm not saying they didn't put, I don't know how much effort they put into promoting it or anything, but it seemed like it was just fulfilling a need that people didn't know was, mm-hmm. was there yet. And, and it just it sort of caught fire, which is exactly what you mm-hmm. want. Like, I think my impression was that they, the lads were hoping to get some response. I think the fact they got such a great response in their first one meant mm. to encourage them to really, really work hard on the next ones. And there's been one in Shanghai. Oh wow! And yeah. I'm seeing New York City as well, and all over the place. Oh. So it's uh, there's definitely interest and there's definitely an appetite for it, which is fantastic. And obviously that that can spill over to other areas like um, television programs, plays, music, things like what you, you're doing. And it's been great. It's, I think it's uh, there's definitely a movement happening. Mm. It's nice to be in any way associated with it. Absolutely. Do you have a rhyme book? I have had many rhyme books and I once... Air session and freshen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I look, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm this type of character who's like, uh, I'm always kind of like happy on the outside and then, you know, you know, like deplorably depressed on the inside uh, uh, and just sometimes that gets to the surface. So like I can remember I had, I had a whole collection of rhyme books when mm. I was probably in my early 20s and uh, I was just like, you need to purge yourself every year. It's like, I don't know. I don't deal well with winter. Like I don't like all the dark hours. But uh, mm. so I think these actually all happened in winter. So I was actually probably connected with that. But anyway, I used to burn them. Because I used to just write loads and I used to think that 95%, like, well, I used to think all of it was crap. Okay. Yeah, uh, I really thought most of it was really crap. I'd take, like, words or, like, you know, uh, a sentence or half a sentence over that feeling and then just transpose that feeling into something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot to be said for actually producing enough uh, garbage that if they, someone who said it's hard to write 100 bad songs. 
that eventually if you actually you mean you, you can write 96 bad ones but yeah. if you write 100 songs you will write three or four good ones even if you're you yeah. know I, I was listening to Lisa Hannigan or reading an interview about her new album recently and she was kind of saying that writing bad songs you need to do it it's almost the scaffolding for mm. the good ones yeah. you know that if you haven't been writing for a year you're probably not your first one probably isn't going to be good you mm. kind of need to I don't know uh I guess it's just a mental image of, of the process, but she's right, you know. You do, the more you write, the better you get. Build up a pile of corpses till you get one that stands up to all. <laughs> so what I like to ask uh, my guests when they come in, is there a favourite and least favourite Irish word? Jesus, I, I really struggle with favourites. My uh, my powers of recollection are abysmal. While you're thinking about it, maybe I can ask about other music in Irish that you enjoy. Uh, I, I know quite mainstream, but I absolutely love the gloaming. Oh yes, I just like like when I when I first heard them and and saw I think some of their gigs from the concert hall mm-hmm. and on YouTube even I was just absolutely blown away mm-hmm. that uh, you could get these people from these disparate disciplines a bit like not a million miles from what we're trying to do and it just worked so well and each person was such a master of their own domain but yet there was an overall mm-hmm. you know they were all being very generous musicians yeah. in terms of functioning to the, being functional in the band and. Uh, just Earla's voice is incredible to me you know there's probably no one better sure. from what I've heard anyway but as like um, yeah in terms of performing songs in Irish I think they're doing the language big favours yes because they they do have that Seagull Ross quality where people who don't speak Irish can listen to that and, and they'd be tearing up and they'd be mm-hmm. you know um, there's an emotive quality to it that's a universal Mm-hmm. Well, like in terms of Western keys and, you know, there's a bit of that, but uh, yeah. Great stuff. Um, best live acts for me. Uh, the best one I've seen in recent times is definitely the Sangana family. They were playing uh, Forbidden Fruit and I went there and I brought my girlfriend there and like she's pretty cool, but I, I had no idea how she'd how she'd how she'd like it. I'd I'd never heard her listening to a song out of family, and then she was like, we were just like both over the moon. So was everyone there. Like yo, mm-hmm. even like these things, like everyone's taking their t shirt off and spinning it around. It just makes it. It just like it really <laughs> makes it. Like I just didn't want it to end, and I just remember like just the whole like feeling of watching these guys like kill it. And then there's people queuing out in the rain and they're just standing there and they're not going and nobody else is leaving. Like mm-hmm. so they're gonna they're gonna still have to wait out there, just hoping that they'll get to step in under the awning and like get to like really dance. Um yeah, they 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 they, they make me feel happy. They're pretty special. How do you feel about finishing shows of the national anthem? We were talking about this in a recent episode. It's a good way to get people to stop demanding encores. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just bring the lights oh. on, see who's been shifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Not a, not a big fan. Um, <laughs> um I remember have being forced to stand up for a version of the national national anthem like a, a hip hop version. I think it was at the like a Pubble like oh. 6 years ago. Oh, wow. And the stage manager made me stand up. And I was like, I was, everyone stood up. Well, most people stood up. I was at the front with uh, a friend, Chris Chapman. And we, we we didn't stand up. We were just like, we're standing up for this. You took a knee. <laughs> we just we just took, we t- we took, we took a seat. We just, 
We stayed there and we weren't getting up. And then the stage manager comes down and she's like, come on, get up. We're all doing this together. It's like, no, this is blasphemy. Mm. I wouldn't, I mightn't even, I mightn't even feel like standing up. It was just the normal national anthem. Never mind this weird joke that this dude's doing. And I was like, oh, this, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I'm not respecting any part of this. Like, I'm not getting up, the no way. Serge Gainsbourg version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a mate of mine, Brophy, threw it, threw it like a, she, she was standing at the back and I don't think she, was, do you think she got really annoyed and threw like a drink over the crowd and nailed all of us on the front rows and we just got soaked by her drink. And then we had the stage manager in front of us hassling us up and we eventually had to just get up because nothing was going to happen. This was going to okay. be a prolonged thing. Like the show, it wasn't going to go on. The show had stopped because we were not standing up. I really dislike that moment. It makes if me really angry. anybody listening today has a copy, a recording, a bootleg recording of that wrapped Aaron of Ian. Oh yeah. I want it. Contact <laughs> me on Twitter at the Irish Four. Or wherever else, if you know me, find me. I want that tape. I want it. <laughs> I want it. So before we finish up, lads, uh, what's next for Emily? Uh, what is next? Uh, Ruby Sessions? Yeah, so we're releasing basically a vinyl version of our debut album Ooh. Uh, with sort of two extra tracks that we've recorded in the last uh, three months. Um, it was just uh, Gwailin maybe felt it was the demand for it and so basically it's kind of given the album a second life it gave us a chance oh. to record a couple more songs that we had you know we're kind of at 70% completion and um, yeah it's just it's going to be a lovely thing to have for Christmas presents for your loved Yay. ones absolutely and we're going to have another little launch uh, but it's not fully confirmed yet but a, a proper launch for the for the vinyl fantastic will that be in Dublin? it will excellent Barry Farrell thank you both so much for coming on giving your time today and you. best luck with the with the album and your forthcoming gigs and come back anytime <laughs> thanks Derek cheers man it was a pleasure cheers And to all you home, thank you very much for listening today. I want to thank Brian for producing the show today. I want to thank Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork. If you've enjoyed the show, please like it and subscribe to it, share it on social networking, tell your friends about it. In the meantime, Slon. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Okay. Uh, if it stops for any reason, just panic. Okay, freak out, yes.